Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Like some food for thought? Tune in to Radical Philosophy with discussions on freedom, happiness, knowledge, evil and rational argument. With words from Hawthorne, Tatman, Jenkins, Hutchinson, Hirsi Ali and Plumwood. Let's get radical about philosophy. I broadcast, therefore... I am, Megera, 2015. Yes, I hope you enjoyed the program last week. It was NADOC week last week. And I wasn't here. I was up at Macquarie University for the Australasian Association of Philosophy Conference. And it was fantastic to actually meet a lot of the women that I've actually interviewed on Radical Philosophy and to actually meet everybody in person. And also I'd like to thank the Australasian Association of Philosophy Committee for all their support. And we're going to go to an interview that I recorded last week at the conference. And I'm speaking to... Dr. Catherine Legg. Welcome to the program, Catherine. (laughs) Now, which university are you? Um, I'm at University of Waikato, which is in the North Island of New Zealand, and I've been there for 10 years now. Now, could you explain a bit about the different fields of philosophy within Australia? Yeah, so I wanted to talk about this because um, I work in American pragmatism, and it's a lesser-known tradition uh, within the Australasian context. So it has tended to be, within Australasia, the, what's called the analytic tradition is uh, the dominant style of philosophy that's done, and that is a tradition that comes down from Frege, Russell, and is, at least in the early days, very uh, focused on developments in formal logic and the implications of those for philosophy. And then there has been a, a sort of a, a large minority, if you like, of philosophers working in what is often called the continental tradition. And these are um, traditions coming more from France and Germany. Uh, it would include existentialism, the thought of Heidegger, uh, more recently Derrida deconstruction, um, and then even more recently than that, it's quite a varied picture. So American pragmatism is different from both of those. So this is the native philosophy of the USA, and it's quite distinctive, I think, and methodologically it's quite different. So I want to talk a little bit more about that. So what does make American pragmatism distinctive? Well, it originated with a a thinker called Peirce, and he was very concerned... Uh, he, he bridged the natural sciences and philosophy. He was 
trained up in chemistry and mathematics and physics and logic. And he was concerned that philosophers tended to go around and around in circles and swing back and forth between views and not make the kind of pro- progress that he saw happening in the natural sciences. So he was trying to bring some of the experimental method, the kinds of thinking that natural scientists do to solve problems, into philosophy. And the way that he did that was to think about how, to, how uh, the natural scientists clarify the meanings of their terms by thinking about specific situations where they can experiment and actually ask questions of the world and get answers. And he was also very struck by the way scientists work together in what he called communities of inquiry. And you see this very much in the idea of replicable experiments, which is it's very important in the natural sciences that if you do an experiment, it has to be replicable by anybody. So this makes scientific thinking public in a way that we haven't really had in philosophy. We've had this ideal of the lone figure sitting in their study, uh, thinking deep thoughts and writing them down. So what was it that inspired your interest in American pragmatism? I think it was a lot of things really, but I was very interested in this idea of the community of inquiry and thinking about uh, the practices of truth-seeking as well as just the content of philosophy. So it's a word that you'll hear a lot in, in American pragmatism, whereas mainstream philosophers tend to talk about knowledge and they try to define knowledge and then there are some sort of very... Ex- they, they define knowledge in a, in a maybe idealised sense and then have a lot of sceptical worries about whether such a knowledge is, is ever possible. But pragmatists just kind of roll up their sleeves. They talk about inquiry. So inquiry is the process of trying to find out the truth. And then they think about, well, how can this process be better or worse? So, yeah, it's this focusing on the process and how to improve it on the ground rather than engaging in these more abstract speculations that I found very interesting. That's just, yeah, that's just one, one part of it. So what are some of the key figures involved? Yeah, so I've already talked about Peirce. So he kicked off the whole movement and he, did, he named it Pragmatism. And he, his key idea, as well as talking about the community of inquiry, another really key idea for his pragmatism was to define a belief as, as a habit. So we've tended to think, uh, following Descartes, we've tended to think of a belief as like a proposition in somebody's head, like a sentence in somebody's head, uh, which just describes the world. But if you see a belief as habit, then a belief is reflected in what you do. What you actually do in the world is what determines what you believe. So just to give one example, belief in God, you might tell yourself that you believe in God, you might think that you believe in God, but if you don't actually practice that in any way, if you don't go to church, if you don't pray, if you don't try to behave you know, in the, the way that one might expect, then you really don't believe in God in, from a pragmatist perspective. So, yeah, so Peirce thought that this is a way that we can really clarify what we really believe and what are the implications of that. 
Um, and then we experiment, you know, again, in the world, acting in the world, we experiment and learn, learn more, and that, that is inquiry. So that's, that's Peirce. And then the next major figure was James, William James, who was a good friend of Peirce's. And he had quite a different approach. He really helped to popularise pragmatism. But his interest was reconciling science and religion. At least that was a very key interest. He was also very interested in, in psychology and was a working psychologist. But uh, James wrote a really famous paper called The Will to Believe, where he uh, suggested that pragmatism can help reconcile the scientific worldview and still leave some room for faith, saying that if, very roughly, if the belief in God makes your life run more smoothly in some profound sense, you're a better agent in the world if you have this belief, and the belief can't be settled by scientific means, and yet you're forced to take up a perspective on the question. You, you have to either be an atheist or a theist or an agnostic. You've got to kind of live one of those options. Then, yeah, a pragmatist argument for the existence of God um, is intellectually respectable. He has had a lot of criticism for that, but anyway, that's where he was coming from. And then the third major figure is John Dewey. So he came along later. He was uh, the generation after. And he was uh, a political philosopher. He was very interested in democracy. And out of that, he was very interested in education. So Dewey picked up this idea of the community of inquiry as... And the, uh, the fact that the community of inquiry is a joint project of trying to find out the truth where you know, any member of the community of inquiry at any time can have the idea that pushes forward the inquiry. And he tried to interpret that on the political sphere and to say that democracy is the political system where we, we sort of have a community of inquiry about... Uh, how our society should be run. And, and again, you know, everyone gets to have a say and there's something profound about that in terms of how we live. And his ideas were very influential for that generation in the United States where there was the New Deal and a lot of uh, government support for trying to reduce inequality and, and put everyone more on the same level during the Depression so that so people could participate as citizens and society could move forward. So would Dewey have been in support of, say, a direct democracy rather than the system that we have now of parliamentary rule? That's a very interesting question and I think he would have been because I think he was very much yeah, thinking about trying to empower every perspective within society to have an input into the decision-making. So he talked about how in the old New England, maybe the 18th century, there used to be these town hall meetings where you know, the local population would get together and they would thrash out the issues that needed deciding for that community. And, yeah, those old ideals of uh, that were at the birth of the American Constitution was very much, I think, that direct democracy. You're listening to Radical Philosophy on 3CR Community Radio, 855 on your AM band. And I'm speaking to Dr Catherine Legg about American pragmatism. And also just a question about 
the belief system, like you were saying that people don't really believe in God if they just say that they believe in God when they don't do anything active, you know, for well, what people are supposed to do who believe in God. Do you think that a lot of our beliefs are actually just inherited from our parents or just sort of passed down as tradition and people perhaps just blindly follow those without actually thinking more deeply about the different beliefs and making their own mind up? Yeah, I think it's, it's, it's always a process, I think, of um, uh, discovering uh, maybe what you really believe uh, within, the, within the pragmatist perspective. And the important thing is that, you know, there's different ways in which you could clarify the heritage that you've been, the epistemic heritage, if you like, that you've been given. So you could sit down and meditate on that belief set and you could try to decide you know, oh, what's consistent with what and what fits together and what feels right to me. And that would be like a private uh, exercise in inquiry. And that Hearst kind of warned against doing that too much. So he called that the, the a priori method of fixing belief. And he said that it's very vulnerable to fashion and being, you know, blown this way and that way, but just because you have a particular feeling that you might like, you know, to believe this or that. So he thought, again, the experimental method was important. So you have to actually go out and, yeah, so you might think you want, you might think that you really believe X, uh, but you have to actually go out and test that belief. So you have to actually go out into the world and do something and see what the results are. And so it's this kind of acting in partnership with the world and allowing the world to tell you new things and to shape you. That is the distinctive thing, I think, that, that pragmatism has to offer. And also that a lot of mainstream philosophy is missing because there's this tendency to just you know read books and articles um, and talk to you know other people who are writing other books and articles and yeah not to go back to the world uh, often. Now getting back to the different fields or streams of philosophy uh, there's there's quite a few for example at the Australasian Association of Philosophy conference they've actually had a lot of people presenting papers and they've had those divided up into different streams what advantage is that well it's kind of inevitable because there's so much knowledge out there <laughs> And we do live in an age of specialisation where if you want to do cutting-edge work on a particular philosophical question, then it's important that you do get on top of what other people are saying about that question. But now we have such vast quantities of publication. This is also partly because of you know, certain institutional or arrangements and uh, incentives or reward, a particular reward system, which uh, we could have an interesting conversation about whether that's the best way to assess the work of academics. But anyway, that's a conversation for another time. But, yeah, we do have to be on top of, you know, the major moves in any given debate. So, so some specialisation is inevitable, and so then there's that problem of you, you can't do that amount of work for every philosophical problem or your, your brain will explode. 
So it's it's a but but at the same time philosophy was always the discipline that was meant to get the overview and to look at the big questions and to be able to take ideas from you know any area of philosophy aesthetics ethics political philosophy metaphysics epistemology and pull it all together so it's it's just a bit of a a bit of a huge tension an inevitable tension i think but i think we could think of ways of trying to halt the spread of of specialization or or draw some draw back in some some of the debates I, th- I think if we could find ways to do that that could be really helpful find ways of starting conversations across these different streams it's always illuminating i know in my case at this conference i've taken the opportunity to go to some papers in areas that i know absolutely nothing about and that's just something i do for my own intellectual development because i f- i find it really really helpful but I'm also conscious that I'm working within this system where you know I have to also do the work required for for keeping up with my my specialist questions that I work on as well. Yeah philosophy is certainly a very vast field isn't it now I only read out a, a quote a couple of weeks ago and it's one of my favorite quotes and it says how philosophy brings up more questions than it actually answers it creates more questions than it answers Mm. so in a way that's that's going against what american pragmatism is preaching isn't it i don't think so why would you say that because you're you're trying to with american pragmatism Mm. you're trying to actually answer the questions Mm. and i suppose that a lot of fields of philosophy once you start to explore it instead of answering the questions that you originally had in your mind, you create more questions. So it's sort of like a tree and you end up branching out and going off on different tangents. Yes, I think that's true. And I think, yeah, answering some questions only only opens up further questions. But, yeah, I think there's there's an ideal of progress where you find the, find the questions answering which will bring you to the further fruitful questions and that might be put up against a situation where people are tending to just go around and around in a circle and to they might have two opposed there might be two opposing views realism and idealism just to give one example and, and you know a debate where people are just swinging back and forth realism Uh, for one generation and then idealism for the next generation because people don't like the problems with the realism in the previous generation and then back to realism in the next generation because people don't like the problems with the idealism in the previous generation. Uh, That happens a lot in philosophy. So that was what uh, the American pragmatists were trying to put us, you know, move beyond. Yeah, that sounds quite sensible. Now, I wanted to ask you something about women in philosophy. Do you see any implications for American pragmatists for women in philosophy? Yeah, so I do, and it's quite... It's not necessarily easy to pin down in words, but there's a spirit I see in American pragmatism of, as, as I said, I suppose, practical problem-solving, which an honesty to... openness to the perspective of anybody in the community of inquiry 
which potentially has a transformative effect on some philosophical debates insofar as voices can get heard that haven't been heard before. So it's quite interesting that there were some very key women in the early periods of American pragmatism. And here I'm thinking in particular of a very interesting woman um, called Jane Addams, who was active in Chicago from around the 1880s, I think, until through to the early decades of the 20th century. And she was a social activist and a very early social worker. I think she helped to define the profession of social work. And she uh, set up this interesting... It was an experiment in social, social help, if you like, anyway. It was called Hull House... And it was a house that she, a household that she set up in the middle of some of the poorest areas of Chicago, um, the tenement areas where um, thousands of immigrants were forced to live in very crowded, horrible conditions, and there was a lot of social need. And so she set this up as very consciously as an experiment in not marching in and benevolently helping these people because she was privileged and they were very unprivileged but in order to try to live alongside these people and to see and to learn from them what she could best do to help them so and she was a very good friend of John Dewey who I I was telling you about before and they had long conversations about these ideas of experimental philosophy and so There's an interesting book that she wrote uh, looking back on those years. It's called 20 Years at Hull Hull House. And over that period, she did learn an enormous amount about the perspectives of the the people that she was helping and and what was really needed. And it was was a very valuable um, enterprise, I think. With the uh, different fields of philosophy in Australia... What are the implications for women? Uh, in what sense? And, and Can you which, say a bit more yeah, about what you mean? the the difference yeah. between the implications with the different fields that are common in Australia in comparison to American pragmatism. Yeah, there's a lot of complex things that could be said about that. I suppose there are. I suppose issues of status with respect to the different traditions, just in the sense that analytic philosophy is is still the dominant, very much the dominant tradition. But there's a lot of... I couldn't really sum it up in a generalisation, if you see what I mean. There's a lot of conversations going on from different perspectives, from within these different traditions. And different traditions at the moment, I think, see the philosophical landscape quite differently. And so there's some philosophers who are trying to, at the moment, trying to bridge those gaps and start those conversations, uh, between, particularly between the analytic and the continental philosophers in Australia. But just to give you an illustration, there's two... There are separate philosophical associations... Well, at least there's the AAP is represents itself as the peak body for Australian philosophy, but has tended to mainly include analytic philosophers. And so the continental uh, side 
has their own association. So that's the Australian Society for Continental Philosophy, and they have their own conferences. And then the American pragmatists, like me, are just a few lone figures dotted around. (laughs) So I think, actually, we need to do a bit more networking. Um, So, yeah, there's a few of us in Australia, although... Uh, I think I'm the only American pragmatist, self-identified, full-on American pragmatist in New Zealand. Oh, well, that's fantastic. I'm very pleased you came onto the program. And this is the first time I've interviewed a non-Australian philosopher. Oh. But, uh, yeah, <laughs> so I'm very pleased yes. that uh, I've got somebody from New Zealand. So, yep, and uh, I've been speaking to Dr. Catherine Legg from... University of Waikato. I'm Sue Dodds, and you're listening to Radical Philosophy on 3CR Community Radio 855 on your AM dial. This is the move. This is the moment of miraculous activist activity. Imagine this activist activity. The fifth annual Melbourne Anarchist Book Fair will bring together an exciting range of independent booksellers zinesters and activist groups the book fair showcases more than 40 stalls and a program of workshops come along to celebrate books pamphlets and zines including radical fiction the anarchist classics and cutting-edge radical writers from around the world it's a great opportunity to be introduced to new ideas to challenge your thinking and to network with like-minded folks it's free and we also provide free childcare. It's all happening at the Abbotsford Convent on Saturday, August 8th from 10am till 6pm and with an after-party in a squatted space late into the night. Find out more at www.amelbournebookfair.org or find us on Facebook. The Melbourne Anarchist Book Fair, because another world is possible. The Anarchist Book Fair is a 3CR supporter. Hi, I'm Jackie Broad. I'm an ARC Future Fellow at Monash University, Melbourne, and I'm listening to Radical Philosophy on Radio 3CR. He's a death cult. Nothing but a death cult. Islamist death cult. The Islamist death cult. Have a look at Islam in Australia. Death cult. All these mosques being built. This is a death cult. To use this term is to dignify a death cult. These are the two enemies we're fighting. The communist left and Islam. Because the two are hand in hand. You mean Abbott and Reclaim Australia's anti-Muslim racism go hand in hand? Yeah, and do you know that Reclaim Australia and the United Patriots Front are organising an anti-Muslim rally on Saturday the 18th of July at Parliament House, Melbourne? That's why the campaign against racism and fascism is organising a counter-rally. We're meeting at Parliament House at 10 o'clock so we can get there first, take the steps first and show them that their anti-Muslim hate speech is not welcome in Melbourne or anywhere around Australia, not now, not ever. If you want updates on the campaign, text subscribe to 0422-726-843 to join the updates list. The campaign against racism and fascism is a 3CR supporter. Well, that's all we have time for today. I hope you've enjoyed the program and been given plenty of food for thought. And thank you very much for your company today. And thank you to Dr. Catherine Legg for her interview from the AAP conference. 
This is Emma Larking. I'm a postdoctoral fellow at the Australian National University and I love the program Radical Philosophy on 3CR Community Radio, 8.55 on the AM dial. <laughs> 